Hi, uh, good morning. It's a very interesting story uh, about Rachel and running away with Yaakov. Obviously, the focal point of the story, uh, the focal point of the story is Yaakov's diatribe against Lavan and his ability to free himself from Lavan's house with Rachel and Leah. But as an aside, an interesting aside, Trafim are mentioned. Rachel steals the Trafim. Um, so just a quick summary of the story. Yaakov decides to run away from Lavan. He asks his wives, and Rachel encourages him uh, unambiguously and encourages him to leave. Rachel then takes the Trafim, steals the Trafim. Lavan gives, gives chase to Yaakov and his family, catch, catches up to him. But the night before he catches up to him, he has a divine vision that warns Lavan from harming Yaakov and his family. Lavan then accuses Yaakov of stealing the Trafim. Lavan searches all around, does not find them. Yaakov launches into a blistering attack on, on Lavan and Lavan's cheating ways and Yaakov's loyalty to him. Perhaps it's an epilogue which sort of takes the detail of stealing the Trafim and inflates it to a major theme in Sefer Breshit, it would seem that uh, Yaakov then curses anyone who has taken the Trafim, and later Rachel dies, because I saw that as a connection, and therefore the stealing of the Trafim, which is sort of a detail in the story, uh, becomes sort of another stage in Rachel's tragic life and in Yaakov's tragic life. And here's the psukem. Lavan halach l'gzozet sonov v'tignov Rachel atatrafim. As Lavan went out to, to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole the trafim to her father's. V'yidnov Yaakov v'tlev Lavan, and Yaakov deceived Lavan harami avli higidlo b'kibarechu, and he did not tell him he was stealing. Okay. Now, the two questions, why Rachel steals the Trafim, is obviously connected to what the Trafim actually are. So first we'll just talk a little bit about what the Trafim are. The Medrash, and now and we'll see it soon, that it sort of expresses itself in the different places the Trafim are mentioned in Tanakh. There are those who say the Trafim are objects of sorcery or witchcraft. And there are other ones that say and that is what is said the Trafim speak falsehoods. And there are those that say that Trafim are idols to be worshipped. We'll talk about these two psukim in a moment. So the two opinions are, one, that there's some magical sorcery. The other one is that they're actually idols to be worshipped. If we look at the different places in Tanakh, and we have, uh, we, we get a certain more fleshed-out picture of what the Trafim is and what their purpose were. Um, I won't go through all of them, just go through uh, several representative ones. Vaish Micha lo Beit Elohim, and Micha had a house of, this is God uh, Chal, this means... God's not our God, but uh, a Beit Avodah of an idol. 
Vayas Eifod V'Trafim, and he did a, a garment, an Eifod, which we know we'll talk about the function of the Eifod in a moment. V'Trafim, V'Yimaleyet Yadechad Mibana V'Yilu Chahen. And he appointed one of his sons to be a Kohen. V'Yanu, and then there were, there were different people, a group of Shevetan that wanted to conquer the Nachala. V'Yanu Chameshet HaNashim HaOlchim L'Ragel HaTa'aretz, and five people gathered to spy the land, to scout the land. And they told the brothers, Do you know that Micha in his house has an ephod in Trafim? And they go and they steal the Trafim. So, um, anyhow, the, the, the five scouts, spies, scout out the land, and they, it seems that they want to steal the trafim to aid them in their war. So here we have a sort of a place of trafim, one as a, perhaps connected to Avodah but also connected to war. Then we have in Shmuel, the Pasuk that we mentioned, Shaul, uh, Shaul, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Shaul doesn't kill Agag. And at the end, Shmuel rebukes him, Kichata Kesemeri Vavan Vitrafim Haftzar. It's a poetic attack and somewhat enigmatic. I'll give one interpretation. There could be several there, not that different. Chatat Kesem, asking sorcery, is equivalent to rebellion. And Avim Vitrafim Haftzar, and asking Trafim, is also equivalent to Mary. So Shmuel, uh, Shaul, in the famous case of Agag, he wins against the uh, Amalek, but does not kill Agag. Shmuel, he, Shmuel asks him, why did he refuse the word of God? And then he throws him this, throws him this attack that listening to Trafim is, is evil, and it's called rebellion against God. So here, too, we have a case where Trafim are used Apparently, Shaul asked the Trafim a question, and he got the wrong answer, a different answer than what God would have given to him. God would have told him, and Shmuel told Shaul specifically to kill Agag. Shaul refused him. It's not clear why. Here in the rebuke of Shmuel, it seems that Shaul was listening to Trafim. Here in the final case, where it's obviously clear what the purpose of the Trafim were and how they used it says, Ki Amad Melech Bavel, the king of Babylon, Aleim Haderech, on a fork in the road, Barosh Hadrachim, on an intersection of two roads, Liksom Kasem, to ask sorcery, Kalkel Bechitzim. This is a very, I was very surprised to say it's such an ancient, uh, it's such an ancient task, but it's drawing straws, apparently putting uh, arrows in a, uh, uh, in, 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 their, uh, in their pouch and breaking one of them and the one that breaks somehow tells you which, which way to go or to attack or not to act. Sha'al betrafim, you ask the trafim rahab b'kaved, there's also something that's known a little bit later period of looking at the innards of animals, I think it's in Shakespeare, right? Rahab uh, b'kaved, so here too, the, the trafim are used not so much as an object of worship, 
but as an object of divination, particularly in terms of war. We have it by Shaul and Agag. We have it by Pesel Michat Rafim, that the scouts, and before they they conquer the land, they want to get some kind of a divine, as we would say, air superiority from uh, from a divine source. And so forth, they try, they steal the Trafim in order to do war. So we have we have Trafim, Sha'al the Trafim, Dibu Aven, they may speak falsely, but they speak. Shaul listens to them in not killing Agag. So here clearly Trafim are a means of of asking, particularly in war circumstances. Here also, okay, Trafim Dibu Aven, the Trafim have speak falsehood, the Kosmim Chazu Sheker, and the sorcerers uh, see lies, the Chalamot Ashav Yedaberu Hevel Yinachemun. And their information is false, and they're falsely Yinachemun, uh, they're falsely comforting. So here we have a lot of sources that refers to Trafim as as asking, particularly in war. war. We have Shaul and Agag, we have the tribe of Dan and Micha, we have the king of uh, Babylon and Yechezkel. We also have a mention with Ephod, which is also, in a sense, our divination, a holy divination, uh, as uh, in the Urim Vitumim. And almost all the questions and all the sources that I've mentioned are related to war. What are the proofs that Trafim are God? We have that we have that other opinion in, in, in the Psikta that Trafim are indeed gods. So here we have a phrase that Lavan puts in particularly his Trafim. This is this is a pretty bad insult. Although Yaakov gives Lavan back Back, he says, you just went because you were homesick. Pretty sad. Okay, Lama Ganavtet Elohai. So he, uh, Lavan first had, has, a, has a dig of Yaakov. It's not any kind of high motives that causes him to run away. He runs away because he misses mommy. And then he accuses him, Lama Ganavtet Elohai, that I've stolen stolen my gods, referring to the Trafim. There are other sort of indications that Trafim might be idols. Trafim are obviously plural when it seems to be one object. There's this notion, like we use the word uh, Elohim or Elohim for Chol, uh, that it's what the scholars call plural majestus. We do have a few cases that aren't exactly gods defined, maybe Taninim, uh, or also maybe one one thing. Uh, another case of what's used in the plural to give a sort of an element of grandeur and mystique is actually Urim Vitumim. And there, at least according to most of our sources, there aren't two objects. Ebenezer does think they're two objects, and also scholars also think it's two objects. And uh, I talked about it in another place. Uh, so uh, Urim Vitumim is also... So that sort of points up that maybe there are some kind of divinely related objects that aren't necessarily gods that are also that are also applied. In truth, I, I think there's a way, and I think it's most likely with reading all the sources together, 
is to sort of bridge the gap. And here I'd like to have the suggestion. And here the Rajvah mentions it by our quote unquote source of divination, the Urim Vitumim, also what we use, David uses, and the Kohen Gadol uses to ask questions, partic- David particularly uses in terms of war, the Urim Vitumim. And here the Rajbam tries to explain what, what is the purpose of these Urim Vitumim. Gain there were names of God that was given in the Choshen to be able to ask them. If all the nations ask their Trafim and their sorcerers, with the power of of Tumah, Lavdil Kamahadalot bin Tumala Tara Kavachomer Likushasha Magadha. So just like sorcery and witchcraft is used, the Rajbam apparently holds that they are effective, uh, so too we have our uh, our quote unquote trafib in the Urim Vitumin. So here what I think might be and here we have another Rajbam refer, refers to it. Lo yu Elohim achirim al panai. Nearly, it seems to me, afilu min bi. Even if you believe in me, lo yel lecha Elohim achirim mi baladai. Liksom behem ksamim ketrafim shalavan shikaratam Elohai sheinon ela liksom kesem. So even if you believe me in me, you you shouldn't use trafim. You shouldn't use the witchcraft. So we have a sort of a connection. On the one hand, the purpose of the trafibur to ask. On the other hand, there are forms of God. Maybe one could see it as a kind of perspective. Lavan might view them as gods, but other people might use them and avail themselves of them, as Shaul did, we'll see in a second, uh, might view them as just a means to gather information, a kind of a magical incantation which might provide a glimpse into the future. So to to sum it up, sorcery as a whole, and we have over Yudonim, is somehow related to Avodah It is related to idol worship, but is not necessarily dependent on it. And perhaps the true believers believe these are godly things, and other people might think, you know, it's just a sophisticated form of of a Ouija board. Or, so someone might not really believe in the spirits, but still use them. And we are, and that's what, according to Rajbam, that's what it means, that not to believe in other gods is gods. Well, that's in the first Dibra of Anochi Hashem. The second Dibra comes to include something else, and that is divination. And so this divination is somehow related, and Lavan can view them as a god, but their purpose is not only, or perhaps their main purpose, is not to be worshipped, but rather as a source of information. So here the Ramban tries to deal with it also. It's possible that Lavan had them as an idol worship. But not all trafim would be were worshipped. 
We'll see in a second the question, the placement of Trafim in the house of David. But it would seem likely that they're utensils in order to predict the future. So here also, Belohim. So here too, the Ramban views Trafim as a kind of a utensil, kinds of an apparatus perhaps to connect to other gods, but perhaps other people would use them for, for sorcery and for information. Okay. Uh, one of the common, um, so here just to sum up the two kind that maybe there's two kinds of trafim, there's sorcery or gods, maybe there's, it's a sorcery object to get in contact with God, maybe it's an object which can be seen as a sorcery, a source of information or a god by, def- depending on perspective between Lavan might view it differently than Rachel, Shaul might view, uh, maybe a Rasha would view it differently than, um, than David, let's say. And that's what the Ramban is suggesting here. And I think that's sort of consonant with all the things, with all the sources. One of the common, most common answers is Rashi's answer, which I find lacking on a few different levels, uh, is that Rachel stole the trafim in order to prevent Lavan from using them. From, to, to be Mizakel Lavan, so Lavan wouldn't be Oveda Vodazara. It seems unlikely for just a simple reason. I mean, does that really help? I mean, she can't make another set of Trafim. They're like su- such a unique object that they can't be chiseled more if he wants. You know, how, do, how does that really help anything? Um, so here there's a very interesting rock that tries to give it a little bit more explanation. Ganvautam kideshi yachzorbo. She stole them so he should so he should change his mind. God that's stolen is ridiculous. If it is a, he is a god. Let him come and attack. So here too, so here the Rach tries to sort of give a more reasonable explanation of Rashi. And he says the purpose was to show the futility of the Trafim and how ridiculous it is to, to worship something that's inanimate. One thing uh, I'd like to point out before we go into another part is wh- wh- why was it so important to go to war with the divination? And Lavan also, we'll see the case in Lavan. Here, okay, war in modern times is scary, but we just have to understand also how much scarier war was in ancient times. You, you know, in, in present times, you can run away. If you start losing, people run away. There are captures. There's no captures. There's no captives in ancient battlefields. It was fight to the death. And everyone on the losing side would die. And in hand-to-hand combat, a lot of people on the winning side also die. It was a scary, scary proposition. 
and they needed reassurance that things were going to go okay. And of course, it's sort of a little bit hard for, a mo- for the modern mindset to believe it, but their whole world and sickness and health and crops was really around uh, the divine. So there was there's an intense human need to, to look for reassurance in life's decisions and particularly something scary at war. So Trafim were really an answering to it. There's one other, there's one thing that I would like to delve into now, which I think is a, a, a very important thing. We mentioned in the Ramban raised the Trafim popping up in terms of, uh, in the story of Michal. When David is running away, um, uh, when David is in the uh, in the and your Michal. So Shaul wants to kill David. Just to go through that story, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Shaul wants to kill David, and he sell, sends messengers to David's house to murder him. Uh, not messengers, assassins to kill David. In fact, and Michal hears of the plot. She puts Trafim in the bed of David, and he and then he, he allows uh, David to run away when the uh, assassins are watching over the inanimate object of the Trafim. Michal David Michal lowers David from the window. V'tikach Michal et trafim and Michal takes the trafim. V'tasem el amitah, v'tkvira azim samim erashotah, v'tichas bebeged. She puts the trafim in the bed and some kind of a, a net for uh, uh, for the head of David, and she covers it all with a, with, a, with some cloth. I think this triple this relationship, Shaul David and Michal, Lavin Yaakov and Rachel, are really, really interesting. Let's just go over the, the comparisons and what happens. First of all, obviously they're identical familial relationships. There's a father-in-law, son-in-law, and, do- and, and daughter. Shaul is the father-in-law, David and Michal, Lavan Yaakov and Rachel. In both cases, the father-in-law gives a daughter to an ally who he really uh, treats poorly. In Shaul, in the beginning, it says that Shaul is giving to his daughter in order that David should die. We'll see that in a moment. Lavan also doesn't, although there the duplicitness and the deceit is more on an economic scale, but Lavan seems to be most interested in Yaakov as an economic asset, and he's willing to cheat him as much as possible. Both of them, David and Yaakov, steal away. They run away, both with the help and encouragement of their wives, the daughter of, of their assailant. Of their, In Shaul's case, it's more severe, but Lavan also possibly was willing to kill Yaakov. In both, trafim are also used. Let's read the Pasuk. And let's see also, they're also in the story of giving over the daughter of the marriage of David and, uh, David and Yaakov, we'll see incredible parallelism. Let's read it inside. 
Vayomer Shaul al David, Hini biti hagdola Merav. This is my older daughter, Merav. Ota aten l'chali isha. Achaya, I will give it to you as a wife. Achayeli levin chayel v'hilachem l'chamot Hashem. So you will be my soldier, my warrior, and brave the wars of God. But what is Shaul thinking? We have the famous phrase of Chazal, v'echad b'peh v'echad b'lev. Here it's, it's not even quoted in the Medrash, it's in the Pasuk. V'shaul amar, and Shaul says to himself, alti yadibal, I don't want to kill him with my hands. V'tibo yad plishtim. Let him go to war, and let the plishtim call him. David, and when it is time for Merav to be given to David, he gives him to someone else. Where else does that happen? Someone wants a wife and he gets switched? Yaakov. David. Is there somewhere else some other love relationship? Between Rachel and Yaakov. Shaul and Shaul says that Nanalo, I will give him Again, he, she will be a trap. Shaul al David You will marry two in one day. There seems to be just a terrible contradiction here. Two psukim before it says that Mirav is given to Adriel and Mcholati. And here it says you're married with two. There are different opinions in the Medrashim and the Mefrashim what exactly happened, but does it mean one of two? Does it mean in the second one? It's hard to know. But whatever it is, the comparison is clear. There's two sisters involved. There's a Rachel Leah switch, like switch, and maybe he's supposed to, maybe Yaakov was supposed to get one and he got two, maybe David is supposed to get two and he got one, but the parallelism is there clear. There's two wives, one loved, one, (laughs) maybe not uh, as much, certainly not as much, one is switched for the other. Maybe it's reversed. Maybe here the one that's loved is switched for the unloved one. In Yaakov, it's reversed. Maybe there's two. There should have been two. But it, it's just too close. Again, we have another connection of the phrase. And the servants of David were told these things. Interesting phrase. Anyone recognize that phrase? That's also what's mentioned. Is also mentioned by Yaakov and working for the uh, for Lavan in the fields. Killed two hundred men. David at and he gave them to the king. He gave two hundred of the Arlot, of the Plishtim, and he gave them the Ketin, king. Vayitein lo Shaul et Michal bitol isha. Vayosef Shaul l'ro'o mitnei David, and Shaul is fearful of David. 
Vahi Shaul Oyev at David Kalhemim. And Shaul Oyev is a, usually said as a noun. Here it's a verb. He, he hates him. He despises him. He treats him as an enemy. Where do we have the other phrase? Kimulu Yamai. Similar phrase. Uh, another comparison is, okay, so what are the comparisons? Also, uh, I, I sort of got caught up. The original Mohar, the original uh, amount that, was, that David was supposed to give to Shaul to his wife was Mea or Plishtim. In the end, David kills 200. Anybody else double the amount that he was given was supposed to give to a wife? Yaakov was seven fourteen. Okay, shoppers between us, including my wife, would say, Well, that's not exactly fair. Yaakov got a two for one deal. Okay. But it's still similar. It's still similar. The amount is doubled. We don't know if David got two for one or two for two, but the amount that he was supposed to pay got doubled, whether he got chipped or not. Okay, so what are the comparisons? We have two sisters. Michal is switched to Meirav. Similar switch of Leah to Rachel. Michal, in the end, is stolen from Yaakov and given to Palti. Oh, I'm sorry. Is stolen from David and given to Palti. The shepherding for seven years, 14 years, 100 Arlot Plishtim. I was thinking of a joke for this, but I couldn't come up with anything for a mixed audience. Okay. For so 100, for 200, leave it as it is. Uh, uh, so Shaul, and, and Shaul intends them for the, fil, for the plishtim to kill David. In other words, what is the kesef kedushin? What is the amount the dowry given for betrothal? It is a symbol of the deceit of the father-in-law. In Lavan, it's an economic deceit. Well, it's a little, seven years, it's not just you know, paying a little bit extra in Rami Levi. It's seven years of it's seven years, it's long, it's part of your life. But it doesn't compare with the fear of death. David gets it easy because he's brave and an accomplished warrior and God, God is with him. But it's a symbol of the, the duplicitness of the father-in-law and also a symbol of what? of the loyalty of the son-in-law. The son-in-law now is, shows his devotion and, show, and by David he shows his belief in God by killing Plishtim without fear. Um, so here too we have the connection. What happened? Did, I'm sorry, this should be Meirav. Did David marry Meirav? David but still says Bishtayim. Okay, so we have different opinions, whether it's one and two in Sanhedrin, it says most of Farshim on the Mikra Rashi and the Mitsudot say it means one of two. In Sanhedrin it says Shalu Talmidavit Rabbiosi Hechnasa David Shayachayot Bechayehem. How did he marry two sisters? It's Asur. Amalan Michal Achamitat Meirav Nisa. Married Michal after Meirav died. That there was Kudushetaut, he wasn't really married. So here too, there, there's some confusion. So here too, David is offered two, then switched to one, ends up with zero, and then Michal gets back. It's all very confusing. 
very complicated marital relationship. Yaakov is offered one and ends up with two. Here also, there's another case which sort of shows the relationship and how the father-in-law treated the daughter-in-law. Why did he run away? I was afraid that you would steal your daughters from me. Who did? Shaul. Shaul gave me Rav to Adiel Mechalati, gave Michal to Paltiel. Also, the, the nature of the deal, I, and I think this is a uh, sort of a subliminal criticism, we, I noted before the phrase v'yitchaten b'sha'ul. It says that he's, David says he's marrying Shaul, not David, not the daughters. If it's so, then it's easier to steal the daughters. If daughters are chattel and to be sold, then, it, then if there's a mistake by the father-in-law, they can be taken back. Or at least that's the way Shaul and Lavan sees it, and that's why Yaakov is afraid of Lavan. Vishalom Natan and Michal Bito Eshet David. It says, it calls him, it calls her Eshet David. Lefalti Ben Laish Asher Megalim. Now this is interesting. So Yaakov is afraid of losing his wives, and, but David actually does lose his wife, at least temporarily. Why does it end differently? We saw all the comparisons, but here I think. So there is definitely a parallelism that Yaakov is afraid of something happening which Shaul actually effectuates. What is the difference? What causes the difference? And here I think the difference is clear. Um, What happens before Rachel's running away, Rachel runs away with him. And not only does Rachel run away with him, when when Yaakov asks Rachel, should I run away she says, no, I, we have nothing here. Lavan cheated us out of everything. <coughs> Excuse me. And things that we should have gotten, we didn't get. So, therefore, let's all run away together. Michal helps David run away and saves him from her father's assassins. But, what? But she doesn't run away with him. And that's what causes the difference. That's what I think. Rachel, to quote, stands by her man, and Michal helps him, but isn't willing to take that next step and run away from the house. Michal takes the trafim and puts it in his bed. Well, now, after all the comparisons we have, father-in-law, son-in-law, father-in-law hating the son-in-law, son-in-law being loyal to the father-in-law, giving one wives, two wives, zero wives, taking back, switcheroo, doubling the dowry. Okay, we have all those comparisons. There's one other thing. There's the flight. The fl- the, both of them run away with the help of their daughter in slightly different and extreme position. Rachel, where she runs away with him, Michal stays back, but she still aids his uh, aids David's flight. Another comparison, both flights are accomplished with trafin. 
Could that be a coincidence? Really? Could there? There's nothing else that looks like a human body under a blanket, just trafim? Both of them are under a blanket. Rachel is sitting on the blanket, Alkar Gamal, and Vitechas, uh, and, and it says Michal covered them also with a blanket. So here also, and, then, and here, well, we go back to the question, the Rambanas, how could David have Trafim? Avalo you call Trafim Nevadim, it can't be, so he says, well, it couldn't be Nevad Zarel, why would they be in the house of David? I have another notion. Maybe they're not David. Who's Trafim? Who's else Trafim could there be? Shaul. This Shaul used Trafim. Does God wish sacrifices? He wants his word to be listened to. Listening to sorcerers and witchcraft is rebellious. And listening to Trafim, the foolishness or the lies of Trafim to their answers is terrible. You have defiled God and hated God and God will return in kind. So Shmuel says, why didn't he kill a guy? Because he's listening to Trafim. Is there another case? Is there another case of Shaul listening to sorcery? Okay. Which is the case? Oh, so here we have another case. Vayar Shaul. Vayar Shaul at Machane Plishtim. And Shaul saw the war camp at Plishtim. Vayira v'yecharad libom ba'od. I didn't quite capture Very fearful petrified. And Shaul asked God and he was not, and God did not answer him, neither in dreams, nor with the Urim Betumim, nor with the prophet. Find me a sorceress, a witch, and I will go to Vedra Shabbal. Vayamu Avadav Elav, Hine Eshet Baalat Ov, Beindor. There is a witch in Eindor. So what happened to Shaul? So Shaul at one point, so he goes on, banished the sorcerers. But Shaul is desperate. As we say, he's scared. He is scared. Somehow more scared than ever before, but even when he, when he went to war before, what did he do? He had a Navi, he had a prophet, he had some kind of divination. He has to have something. He can't just go to war with his bare hands. He is too scared. He prefers to ask God. But if God isn't there, he's going to ask the Trafim. And you're also, just for a parallelism to show that the choice of Trafim under a blanket is not a coincidence. David runs away with nothing. And then he goes to the Kohanim and he says, I have nothing with me, I have no armaments. So he asks, what can you give me? 
ויאמר הכהן חרב גוליית הפלישתי אשר היכיתה במקהלה I have the sword of Goliath who you, who you killed in Emekela. And where is it? Hinehir lota b'simla. It is covered by a blanket. Achrei ha'efod. Behind the ephod. Ephod is what? What is the ephod v'trafim? We had that a few times. I just mentioned ephod v'trafim. Both in Micha and both in Zechariah. What does the sword of Galyat represent? What does the death of Galyat represent? The person who is Cheref, who cursed God and made fun of God. Galyat is a symbol of David's faith in God and God's observance of him. As opposed to what? The Trafims and Shaul's reliance on the falsity of the Trafim, on the witchcraft of Trafim. So here, first of all, there are no coincidences. If it's Trafim, there's something to it. Michal wants to say something with the Trafim. Second of all, the, the parallelism and the contrast between Shaul's Trafim and David's Cherev, Goliath, Asher, Hikehu, both under a simla. Here the Kohen, as a messenger of God, reveals it to David. The assassins of Shaul take the bed with the Trafim. They think it's David. The stupidity and the foolishness is obvious. Shaul likes Trafim. They're obviously his. This that is the connection. If you want more of a connection, we also have textual connections. The word Rimitani is, appears three times in all of Tanakh. Vahi Boker, Vihinehi Le'ah. This is the story of Yaakov. Vayomer Lavan Mazal Tasitali, Halobrachel Avaditi Imach, Vilama Rimitani. Why have you deceived me? Why did you put the trafim there? Again, and then now, now with Shaul. The sorceress brings up Shmuel. And then she realizes that Shmuel talks and she realizes this is a Shaul. Vatizak Bakal Gadal and she screams with a great voice. Vatomahishal Shaul. Lemor Lama Rimitani. Vatashaul. Three times Rimitani is mentioned. One exactly the word Rimit Lama by where? Yaakov and Leah. Michal and the Trafim, Michal and the Trafim, and Shaul and the Baalataol. Um, there uh, also the the phrase here, the Tizak Bakol Gadol. Who else screams with a great voice? Esav when he finds out, and he says, Lama 
lakachti b'mirma. Not remitani, because Esav is talking to Yaakov, and Yaakov didn't do the fooling. So here we have also a case of all these cases of deceit. Now, just as an aside, some of the cases of the, the cases of deceit here. Not only are they cases of deceit. One has to say honestly that one is surprised by the story. I mean, there are bizarre, there are absolutely bizarre elements of deceit which you wouldn't think would work. You wouldn't think you could switch two sisters. You wouldn't think that you could put a pestle in a bed and assassins would think it's David. <laughs> You wouldn't think that Shaul, how Shaul described how do you disguise someone that's a head taller than everyone else? All these, these, these deceits and these switchings are similar. And they all use the phrase of Rimitani. They can't be coincidence. This is my suggestion about why Rachel stole the Trophim. As we saw before, going to war without divine signs is, is scary. I'm going to war with divine signs is scary. It's a question of to lose and be killed, to win and maybe not be killed, but maybe killed anyhow. You don't do it. God's warrior, David, will wait for Urim Tumim or a prophet or a Chalom. What happens to Shaul? Shaul believes in God, but he is not going to throw his lot totally with God. He's not going to stand up and think if David is his enemy, he will not go to war with David. He preferred the Plishtim do his dirty work. When he is not answered from God, well, by Agag, he asks the Trafim. Shmuel isn't there, and he didn't ask him, so he asks the Trafim. In the end of his life, when Hashem Sarmeli, when God removes his canopy from him, he also, he, he then reverts to the Balat Alv, and he gets the answer from Shmuel, the, a bad answer, but that's the answer he gets. What I want to suggest is Lavan is sort of reverse. Lavan is basically an Oveda Vodazarah. But in the ancient world, that dichotomy between those that served God, the true God, and those that served idols, it wasn't so clear. It wasn't, there were people that, as it were, went both ways. And Leo famously attacks those, How often can you go by being both houses, both being both, Door uh, thresholds. If God is the true God, go after Him. But and the the phrase of Siifim is very apt. Someone that sort of believes in multiple gods, in a certain sense, doesn't believe in any, or at least doesn't believe in our God as much. And that's what the Rajbam is saying that. When you when Shaul asks the Trafim, it is it is not a side isur. It is not a, some kind of a side prohibition. It is not like eating 
eating a pig or marrying two sisters or doing anything else wrong. It is it is a basic, it is something wrong about your belief in God which David doesn't have. But that was the state. We do have that state of Am Yisrael in many stages of the period, which was the main God and which was the subsequent God. Hard to know. But what I want to posit is per, perhaps Lavan is reverse. Lavan will ask Trafim. When there's no Trafim, he, he, he's not going to go to war without a, some kind of divine symbol. And therefore, when God appears to him and he says, do, do not do anything to Yaakov, he will gladly listen. And God comes to Lavan in a nightly dream. Beware, do not speak ill to Yaakov. And also, and then Lavan himself says, I have in my power, And up until this point, perhaps, uh, one might have thought that Lavan is willing to cheat Yaakov, but is he willing to kill him? Is he willing to do bodily harm? Here Lavan, I think, is clearly threatening Yaakov, that he, or at least wanting to get credit for not harming him, but he says he has the power to, to harm him. But the God of whom, of your fathers, not, not whom, not God, period, not my God, your God, as if my God might have said something else. So the asking of gods, and another thing that has to be noted, the asking of gods, you know, wasn't exactly an objective exercise in finding God's will. Uh, we have the famous case of Balak and how Chazal related to it. And, you know, you could ask, I don't know exactly what the, the methods of asking uh, the Trafim, but maybe it wasn't objective, or at least, and certainly it was a possibility that you could either jigger the results or it's just possible that randomly the results would have told Lavan to go to war with Yaakov. What happens then? What happens if Lavan's God says, go to war, you won't be successful? And Yaakov's God, this shepherd who he's been cheating for 14 years, 21 years, his God says something else. Well, what does Lavan do then? Here also, as we say, Lulei Elohei Aviel, and also in Yaakov's phrase, Lulei Elohei Avi Elohei Abraham Upachad Yitzchak Hayali Ki Atarekam Shlachtani Etani Vetigi Kapai Rahay Elohim Biyochach Emesh. He also refers to God. Also, the emphasis is on my personal God, where he puts in the end. Yaakov obviously says Elohim without any modifier, and for Yaakov. Obviously, he's his true God, but also this element of a personal God that Lavan might have his own God. As with Balak, sometimes you get the answer from Trafim that you want. And if Lavan wants war, in all likelihood, his Trafim are going to give the answer. 
So what I want to suggest is that Rachel stole the trafim in order that Lavan would not get the wrong answer. The trafim are an instrument, as they are with Michal, the trafim are an instrument in the flight. They're a way to facilitate the flight. And the facilitation comes um, uh, comes because if Lavan does see the trafim and does ask the trafim and gets the answer that he's looking for, then he might very well decide to go to war, whether whether he gets the whether he has a command from God or not. Okay, just to, uh, so just to review what we were talking about. So we have all these parallels between the, the, the triangle of Yaakov, Lavan, and Rachel, Shaul, David, and Michal. We have the familiar relationship. Father-in-law, uh, daughter, daughter, wife, son-in-law. We have... Uh, and also in the familial relationship there's these kinds of I would say a kind of a servitude that Yaakov is Lavan's servant as to David servant. we have the switching of the sister brides one for two, two for one two for zero it gets all complicated especially with David it goes from two to one to zero back to one uh, Yaakov actually gets two we have the doubling of payment, and the payment itself is a symbol of the character and the relationship between both the father-in-law and the son-in-law. A symbol of the father-in-law's duplicitness, his deceitfulness, his evilness, and the daughter and the son-in-law's devotion, loyalty, both to his father-in-law, as Yaakov's famous speech to Lavan at the end, uh, and um, um, and the father-in-law's, um, in Shaul's case, uh, wanting to actually kill David, but not honest or candid enough to do it, uh, to do it, uh, to do it full force. Um, uh, so, and now we see also in a, sort of a side, uh, a side about the Cherv Goliath. We have the running away with the daughter's aid. Um, and here I noted the difference between, uh, the parallel, but the difference between the running away of Rachel, where she encouraged him and indeed ran away with him, and Michal, who stayed behind, and did not go down the uh, window with David, or did not run away and join up with him at some later date. And that really caused Michal's giving, been given over uh, to Palti, away from David, whereas Rachel stayed with the, uh, Yaakov the whole time. The love, oh, another point which is mentioned, the love's bride, Rachel and Michal, are both akarat. Uh, Michal is akara uh, forever, and she never has a child. Rachel has a child, uh, but she dies. Interestingly enough, uh, tragically enough, uh, the death of Rachel is also might indirectly be connected to Trafim and Yaakov's curse. And Rimitani, as we mentioned, Lambi Bimrama is used in both places, and it's also used in Shaul's uh, turning to sorceress 
and the and the witch from Endor, and the Balat of Me Endor, in both Trafim are involved in the fl- in flight, uh, in f- involved in the flight. Uh, here we have a. a, a uh, see, I just want to also point out the uh, the uh, um, about the switching and this incredible litany of switching throughout Tanakh, and this obviously ha- can be traced to a pre-Leah period and the switching of Yaakov and Esav also in terms of clothes. I, I'm not sure what this says, but we have an incredible amount of switching and identity switching in Tanakh. And here we have another case of Michal and Leah and uh, Rachel and Leah of Trafim to David, Yaakov and Esav. I don't know what this means, in, to be frank. In one sense, we do view this as an attack and a subtle criticism of deceitfulness of Lavan, uh, of Lavan and Yaakov. Beyond even accepting this, the, perhaps the, the most, to what for me is one of the most interesting questions, is the moral question in the case of ambiguity. Okay, Shaul and Lavan are bad people. They're duplicitous. Shaul does not even have the courage to kill David or to face David face to face and to try and hurt him and try and limit him or even to bring up his reservations and his um, and his complaints against David's actions. In the end, Lavan faces Yaakov and Yaakov does face him and they come to a resolution, come to a grip, something that tragically never happens between Shaul and David, kind of an honest relationship. But what really is interesting to me is Rachel and Michal's duplicitness and their deceit. Does deceit have a place for for the holy for a good means? Do the means do the ends justify the means? And here the Torah inexplicably also in the switching of Yaakov and Esav for the brachot, we get sort of a dual message. In a certain sense, Yaakov obviously is considered the continuation and the rightful heir of Yitzchak and Yaakov, uh, Yitzchak and Avraham, as is mentioned in the story, Elohei Avraham v'pachad Yitzchak. Was it justified what Rachel did? Was it justified what Michal did? Is the, are these notions of mirma, are they sort of a ne- necessary evil to achieve greater good? And those, that should be, and, and that, that was a good thing. I, I don't really know. And it's sort of ambiguous. What does seem to be clear is the price that's paid. As we say, and from this parsha and the parsha immediately next, Esav hates Yaakov and he tries to kill him. Yaakov has to spend a great deal of his formative lives in Lavan's house. Now, the subjecting, subjecting himself to Lavan's ownership or his servitude to Lavan is basically a function of running away from Esav. 
So in a sense, this whole story and this whole subterfuge of the trafim and the running away and this confrontation is really a product of a previous action of Rachel, of a previous switching. And here also, so that's one price to be paid. The second price to be paid is Rachel's death, which is which is obviously much more final, much more tragic, and much more horrible for Yaakov and obviously for Rachel. So I don't one message that one can take from this confrontation is that sometimes that the method of deceit has its price. Maybe it's a price that has to be paid, but it definitely has a price, and a terrible price and a horrible price. So, I don't know if the Torah thinks that this was necessary. If Rachel had to do this with uh, Yaakov and Esav, I don't know if this had to do with Michal, if it had to be done this way. What comes out also from the story, which is very interesting, is after Yaakov honestly confronts Levan, he doesn't kill him. They make a breed. Something that never happened with Shaul and David. So perhaps part of the message is deceit and running away isn't, isn't always necessary. And maybe there's a way for conflict re- uh, resolution that includes just honest and open discussions of differences, even with people like Lavan. Now, one uh, the skeptic might say, "Well, Lavan does get a divine apparition in the middle of the night, and he d- does obviously have a kind of a hatred for Yaakov. Maybe it could have ended differently." Well, I don't know. But that is the story. So we had the story of Yaakov, Lavan, Rachel, Sholdav, and Michal. I think the Trafim or symbol are really uh, in by Michal or by Shaul. And here they're really a method of the, uh, uh, a method or something to facilitate the Bricha. Just like to point out there's this really interesting thing, which is sort of a side, about what the Trafim are, quite a, it also appears in other medrashim. Umahena trafim shalchatim adam b'chor. One slaughters a firstborn, molkinet reoshal. They chop off its head. Umolchino to b'melch v'shemen. He's embalmed. V'kotvin al tzit zahav shem ruach tumah. They write on a, a, a gold plaque the name of the demon. Umnechino to tachat l'shano. Notnimo to b'kir. Put up against the wall, Madlikim Nehot Lefanav, Umstachavim Law, Vum Dabari Mahem. Umenayin Shatrafim Dabrim, Shemakiatif Trafim Dibruavan, Lefikach Yanavatam, Rachel Shaloya Gidul Lavan Shabarach Yaakov, and therefore Rachel stole them. There's another explanation, Shalavan shouldn't be told that he stole. Thank you.